welcome to the program. I'm your host, Neil Howard, here on Health Professional Radio. Real glad that you could join us for another segment. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Robert Keenan. He's joining us here from the Duke University School of Medicine to talk about gout, how, if left untreated, can lead to some very serious health conditions. Welcome to Health Professional Radio, Dr. Robert Keenan. Thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you for having me. One of my favorite topics to talk about. Well, Give us a a bit of your professional background and and tell us why this is one of your favorite topics. So I'm a rheumatologist. I've been in practice and doing rheumatology, so to speak, for about 15 years almost now. And I was at Duke for the last almost 12 years until recently going into private practice with a large group in the southeast. And uh, I got involved in gout and gout research actually when I was a resident, and it, I, f- I further cultivated that uh, interest in fellowship and and uh, developed a database there and did some studies and, and just kept it going. When I got to Duke, I started a, a gout clinic, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of naysayers at the time and didn't think I'd be busy, but I was extremely busy, and I went from having it once a month to once a week. Because there's definitely a need out there, and there's a, it's definitely a, seems like an underserved and underappreciated disease state, which is another reason why I have a significant interest in it. In addition to the sheer fact that it's one of those things we can actually fix 99.99% of the time, and, and a lot of people, including providers, don't realize that. So what is gout and what causes it? So gout is due to, first, you have to have hyperuricemia or too much uric acid in the blood. And when there's too much uric acid in the blood, you kind of got to look at it like uh, kind of like pouring sugar into uh, cold tea. If you got too much, it's going to all kind of sink to the bottom and, and deposit. With with gout and, and uric acid, we all make uric acid. We all make you know various amounts depending on you know our metabolism and what we eat and what's in our diet and all that good stuff. But what's uh, even more important for developing too much uric acid in the blood and subsequently gout is, is how your kidneys and your gut, uh, more so the kidneys handle that uric acid, how much they hold on to versus how much, you know, the kidneys get rid of it. And most patients with gout have gout due to too much uric acid, not because they eat too much bad foods or gouty foods or foods with what they call high purine content, but because of their kidneys and some, to a certain degree, their gut holds on to that uric acid. And that's usually due to a number of things. It could be due to anything from um, using uh, diuretics or uh, having just decreased renal function as we get older or any other kind of problem with our kidneys in general that decreases how much, uh, how much they're able to filter, so to speak. So because of that, when the uric acid gets too high, you know, the blood gets what they call supersaturated. So there's the concentration is too high. So when the concentration is too high, the uric acid, which is soluble in the blood, kind of starts to basically form crystals. And those crystals end up depositing in the joints and the soft tissues. How's this condition treated traditionally? Well, traditionally, you know, people think about gout and they think, oh, you're having a, you know, a gout attack in your big toe, for example, that's kind of what the classic perception mm-hmm. of gout is. It, it Those crystals stir up the immune system and cause a significant uh, severe reaction or flare-up in most patients. So the immune system goes after them hard, and because of that, you know, all the inflam- all the, well, all the, the immune system, including neutrophils and lymphocytes and other 
parts of our immune system kind of go after it and and create the inflammation that leads to the swelling and the redness and the pain and the increased warmth that's associated with the big red hot toe that, mm-hmm. that people think about gout at. Now, you know, gout can go in other places, of course, besides the big toe, and, it, and a lot of times it does, and a lot of times that actually kind of throws patients and providers off a little bit as far as what the potential diagnosis could be when it doesn't just occur in the big toe. So to treat that, most people just treat when that acute flare occurs, and so they'll give them either colchicine, for example, or they'll give them uh, non-steroidals, like indomethacin is the classic non-steroidal that's used. And then, of course, they'll potentially give them prednisone as well to take to try to calm down the inflammation right then and there. The A lot of times, unfortunately, people don't realize that, you know, in between those flares, even after you treat and the flare goes away, that there's still those crystals sitting in the joint. And also that those crystals are still kind of inciting the immune system to kind of have this low level of inflammation. And when those crystals are sitting there and the uric acid still high, it's still elevated, this crystal continues to deposit. So, you know, that leads to what they call, you know, atophis, which is a collection of crystals and other inflammatory cells and, and fibrous material. And that, you know, accumulates over time when the, when the elevated uric acid is not uh, appropriately treated or, or, or addressed. Are these treatments always effective? Are they effective in some patients or, or sometimes they're not effective at all? Yeah, so, yeah, all above, basically. So when, it, when you're treating an acute flare, acute a gout attack, acute gout attack, you know, usually people think, okay, let me give you colchicine and see if that calms it down, or let me give you some non-steroidals and see if that calms it down, or give me some prednisone and see if that calms it down. And a lot of times, you know, one might not work for one patient, but works for another uh, some patients need all three, for example. Some patients might need two of those things to get it to calm down. Mm-hmm. And most patients, not all, but most patients, even if you did nothing for the gout flare, you know, didn't do anything, even including icing it, for example, the uh, the gout flare will usually resolve on its own after about a couple of weeks, 10 to 14 days. Um, it's not, not always the case, of course, but a lot of times that's the case, especially when the gout, when the patient's gout is not mm-hmm. too severe. Now, you know, there's there's other things that, of course, you know, can treat a gout attack, and that's including injecting the joint with with uh, steroids, for example, and all that. All those things usually are relatively effective. But the problem is, too, you know, once you treat it, it can still come back and come back a week later, can come back a year later, mm-hmm. can come back six six months later. And so, or it can deposit, and you know, the crystals are depositing, and if they're depositing in one joint, they're usually depositing in another, or in the soft tissue, or along the tendon sheaths. And so, usually, you know, if you have one area of gout, there's usually another one somewhere around that just hadn't reared its head yet. If left untreated, it could lead to some other serious health conditions. But we, we just talked about some of the treatment options. What if those options don't control the gout? When you're treating the kind of the root cause of gout, the hyperuricemia, that is, you want to lower the uric acid. So the treatment options for lowering the uric acid are, are different, of course, than treating the acute flare. And that and that uh, includes things like allopurinol, which has been around since the 60s when it was first approved for gout. And then also another similar acting medication, but a little bit more specific, is febuxostat. And that those both lower the uric acid. And there's a few others out there 
that including uh, probenicid in the United States that helps you 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 know pee out or urinate out the uric acid, and then there's um, uh, what they call a pegylated uricase, which is an IV medication that <clears throat> puts back that enzyme that we don't have as humans and that <clears throat> excuse me third world monkeys and and apes and for whatever reason Dalmatians do not have, and that's a uh, the enzyme that breaks down the uric acid to something called allantoin that that we easily excrete and easily get rid of, and you know so there's kind of a stepwise approach usually to uh, to patients with gout and depending on their severity, um, if you have a patient has just you know maybe one flare every now and then and um, every you know once or twice a year, you know you might put that patient on allopurinol and 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 be fine. There's those patients who continue to to have flares despite the allopurinol or despite the subluxacet, mm-hmm. continue to have flares, continue to have crystal deposition, and uh, and those patients are, you know, the, the considered the more severe or refractory patients. And those patients, you know, they're usually best served with uh, treating with pegloticase, the IV therapy. What is about some of the uh, long-term complications and comorbidities associated with uh, uncontrolled gout? So that's a that's a good question. People don't understand here again. I was going I was talking about the low grade inflammation that occurs while gout's going on, even between the flares, and that subsequently could uh, contribute to a lot of things that um, like cardiovascular disease, for example, or chronic kidney disease, for another example. Obesity and insulin resistance um, are all could be attributed to, or at least comorbid associations, or you know that they go along with gout. People in the medical community kind of argue back and forth a little bit because there's, there's not definitive studies saying that, okay, gout causes X, Y, and Z, but all of the epidemiological research looking at large databases and retrospectively shows an independent risk factor for things like even hypertension. Um, again, cardiovascular disease, mm-hmm. you know, increased risk for heart attack uh, and it, as well as chronic kidney disease, insulin resistance, and metabolic syndrome, and obesity, and all those kind of things can go along with, with gout and hyperuricemia. Where can our listeners go online and get a lot more information about uncontrolled gout and about the treatment options that may be available for them? So they can go to evolutionofgout.com, all one word, and they can get a lot of information about specific things, actually, about agnets and things that in pain resolution with the uh, with gout and damage from TOFI and um, and all kinds of even podcasts or vodcasts are there actually. So there's all kinds of uh, good information, useful information for um, patients and you know the lay folks as well as professionals themselves and providers themselves. Dr. Keenan, I appreciate you joining us here uh, briefly on Health Professional Radio and giving us that information and that um, information resource as well, evolutionofgout.com. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Thank you for having me. Have a good good evening. You do the same. You've been listening to Health Professional Radio. I'm your host, Neil Howard, in conversation with Dr. Robert Keenan, adjunct clinical professor at Duke University School of Medicine. Audio copies of this program are available at hpr.fm and healthprofessionalradio.com.au. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, listen in, download at SoundCloud, and be sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com, Health Professional Radio. 